Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Really heavily laid upon my heart that affects all of us. Uh, just for a moment, I just want inter- to uh, once again introduce it again to you. Uh, it's something that I've told you before. It's about worship. And you may say, well, how often are you going to talk about that? I am going to talk about that until I draw my last breath on the planet. Amen. And I'm going to be so bold as to say I will make no apology for it. Because I want to tell you something today. Our God, first and foremost, Jesus is worthy of all worship, all of it, and more. And let me say something to you today. Worship is not because God is in heaven insecure about who he is and therefore he needs someone to build him up that's not what it's about worship is really about you connecting with him it's about you going deeper into an intimate relationship with him and you need that you need that you need what god has in the context and in the atmosphere of worship. We do not set these songs aside and do a song service and and the worship service so that we can let people that are late get a chair. That's not what that's about. What we do, and look at, and worship this this morning is not about singing songs. Okay, worship is about adoring and loving and being in love with and connecting to who he really is. But let me tell you something about worship. Worship must be intentional. You cannot sit in a church or stand in a church and be overwhelmed to the point that you just start worshiping. You say, well, let me me give you an example. Currently, Right now, currently in my life, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe because when you look at me, you're going to look at a specimen of health. It's like, it's like, whoa, look at how healthy you are. No, I belong right now, currently to two gyms in Kingman. I belong to the wellness center. Amen. And I belong to planet fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go, John. You're doing good. You are awesome. You belong to two gyms. And you know what the funny thing is? I have gone to the gym and I have watched people work out. I've gone in there, watched Andy. Come on, boy, you can lift it. You're the man. Keep going. Do it. And I have never lost a pound in that condition. You know, I belonged to the wellness center and then all of a sudden the new thing came along, just like a new church opening up, you know? You getting where I'm going? Kind of feeling me? You see where I'm, you know, you're picking up what I'm laying down? The new thing came along, Planet Hollywood, Hollywood, Planet Hollywood, Planet Fitness came along and I went, well, forget wellness center. As if the weights at Planet Fitness are different than the treadmills and the CrossFit and all that at Wellness Center. But it's brand new and they got a shiny new sign and guess what? You know what they have at Planet Fitness that they don't have at Wellness Center? And if Wellness Center really wants revival, they better get this, bro. Because what they have is they have these chairs you could sit in and they massage you. 
Whoa, yeah, that's the thing. That's the ticket. I'm cutting that place loose and I'm going to this one. I have yet sat in the massage chair and I have yet lift a weight and I have yet. Are you kind of catching what I'm saying? So you could travel through all the churches in Kingman looking for something that's going to make the difference in your life. It is going to be when you decide to do something about it. Somewhere you have to look at, see, I don't, I don't like exercise and I know that's hard for you to believe. Okay. But I have to make a decision to go down there and stand on that treadmill and begin to walk. And you know what, they, uh, they always have TVs, and every time I get there, the TVs have, you know, McDonald's on it. It's like, do you want a Big Mac? Yes, I do. I, how did you know? But somewhere along the line, we have to do something. We're going to have to lift our hands. I don't want to lift my hands. So what? Uh, wait, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to be politically correct. I'm sorry that you feel that way. But lift them anyway. We sung the song. I was thinking about it during service. We want to see his, How many want to see his glory? Raise your hand if you want to see his glory. You're not going to see it unless you enter in. Is this, is this too real, brother? I'm looking over at my friend Mike. And, but somewhere, you know what? God is attracted to worship. And when you worship, he pulls in and he comes close. He draws in. See, when they worshiped in the Old Testament, a thing happened. What happened is the cloud, the glory cloud, this, this presence of God would settle in. If you go read about the, the Israelites, if you'll read that, most of them would just stand in their tent door and watch. That's sad, isn't it? It was only Moses and Joshua that would enter into the tabernacle of the presence. I'm entering in. And you know what it says about Joshua, and I kind of like this, is that when Moses left, Joshua stayed in the presence. He said, I ain't going anywhere outside the presence. And then when Moses, and God told Moses, he says, you know what, I want you to take them into the promised land. He says, you go ahead and take them. I'm not going. Moses said, I would rather be in the wilderness wandering around with you than to go into the promise without you. So we need worship. Can you say amen? And we need to make a decision to worship. We need to be a church of worship. Amen. That was for free. End of that sermon. Now we're going to get on. We're going to go forward with what we started last week. I told you last week when we started this earnestly contending for the faith, uh, we got towards the end of the sermon and I said, well, we can't finish it. It's too long. You know, sometimes I have that nasty habit of, 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 of writing sermons that, that I can't do in one day. So that's okay. So we, we decided to do part two. So here we are. I want to encourage you today because I really believe that God is speaking this, not just to Praise Chapel, not just to us, but I believe God is speaking this and this thought to his church worldwide. I believe he's speaking this to believers. I believe he's encouraging believers to contend for the faith. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Jude, the book of Jude. It's the first, it's the, the book just before Revelation, and, and we're going to go into that, the book of Jude. We're looking at chapter 3, 
or I'm sorry, verse 3. There's only one chapter. And so uh, we're going to pick up there. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jude begins his letter by saying that what he was eager to do was to talk to them about something they had in common, and that was their salvation. He says, I set out to write about salvation because that is really cool to talk about. I wanted to talk to you guys about that. I wanted to revelate about that. I wanted to share with you something the Lord was putting on my heart. He says, but I can't do that because I feel an urgency inside of me. And I feel like it's, ne it's a necessity that I urge you to earnestly contend for the faith. He says, because... There are certain men who have crept in, who have crept in unnoticed. These are creepy men who are secretly slipping in behind the scenes. And he says they have a goal, and that goal was to change their faith into something that denies God altogether. Now, I know in context, in the context of this scripture, what Jude is dealing with here is he's dealing with what they believe, their belief system. He's dealing with doctrinal issues. He's dealing with faith versus works or faith versus religion and that kind of thing. And there were men at that time that were coming in and they often would show up and they would say, yeah, Jesus is fine. But it's not really just Jesus, it's Jesus plus something else. And so they were getting them to pull aside and pull away from the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I, I want to take this scripture as a text, as a, as a launching point, and I don't believe I'm doing it any harm by saying that we need to contend for faith. Faith. Because how many know that our faith, the faith that we have to believe the faith that we exercise, the kind of faith that is pleasing to God, really has its roots and its foundation in the theology and the object of our belief system. How many know what I'm talking about? We do. So we know that there is a component of this. So just as in the days when Jude penned these words, we need to earnestly contend for our faith. We need to fight the good fight of faith. Too often, our faith is being seduced by things that we are considering as normal parts of our everyday lives. These things, they creep in unaware, as it were. Not because they're so hidden, but because they are so easily accepted or they fit our mindset. And so last week we looked at some of those and I real quickly just want to go by them very quickly. The first one we looked at is our misunderstanding of time. See, time is not a friend. 
to faith. If you will let it, faith will creep, or time will creep in, and it will assault your faith. See, because we need to have patience, the Bible says, in our faith. And oftentimes the fight of faith, the good fight of faith, is because time is passing, and we're just not seeing the results that we are expecting. Because we live in a generation that's kind of an instant generation. We want everything right now, very quickly. I want it now. So we want to pray about two minutes and have God show up the next. And sometimes he's just not that quick in doing things. How many know what I'm talking about? And so because things don't happen immediately, we tend to cast aside our faith going, oh, I guess God doesn't want it. Or I guess he's not going to do it. Or I guess it's not his will that it be done. And so time becomes a thing that assaults. It's a creepy thing that's, if you, when you misunderstand it, it works against your faith. Another one is human reason. Because we're forever trying to make sense of things, aren't we? But the problem with faith is faith is oftentimes unreasonable. Faith just doesn't make sense. Sometimes God asks us to believe things and to trust him and to do things that just seem to be off the hook. He asks us to go this way when everything inside us says go that way. It just doesn't make sense. God will ask us to give when we have need. What? Why would you do that? Are you just stingy, God? No, God understands that when we act in faith, it releases something. And so what he wants us to do is trust him, not our reason. Fear is a thing that will creep in. See, faith by nature takes risks. Faith will get out on the end of the branch. Faith will get out of the boat. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Fear by nature, resists risk. But see, it never shows up like a green-eyed, ugly. That was God calling me right there. Wow. It said God right across my iPad. Actually, it was Alex Wilson. Not sure why he's calling me during service, but we'll find out tomorrow. That's interesting, isn't it? He's ahead of time, isn't he? He's in Florida right now. So he's thinking that I'm laying down at home just eating chocolate bonbons. He's the one on vacation, and I'm actually working. So Alex, if you're watching by Facebook, you just rang me during church. That's funny. I like that. That's actually kind of made my day. That, that's ammunition for the future. <laughs> that's right. They had a time change. He didn't, he didn't realize time changed. See? Time sneaks in. And it will undermine. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for illustrating my sermon. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Fear by nature takes risks. Faith by nature resists risks. Sometimes what God asks us to do is risky, isn't it? Yes. And sometimes if you, 
If you allow it, fear will rise up. But it never shows up as this green-eyed, ugly monster. It always shows up in reasonable things. It, it shows up like, hey, you know what? You need to be cautious. No man goes to war until he first counts the cost. You better, you better think it through. Many a thing, many of God's things have been stopped because men thought it through. Another thing that creeps in is confession. Or the, or the misunderstanding of our com confession or the power of it. The Bible tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if we're not careful, you will talk yourself right out of your miracle. How about socially acceptable things? Things like pride and carnality and unforgiveness and selfishness and disobedience. Those things will work against our faith. Or how about double-mindedness? It's not that place of indecision. It's that place where we got one foot in the world and one foot in God. And we think, you know what? Somewhere along the line, I guess it's better than nothing. Not in the kingdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this morning, let's look at part two of this. Earnestly contending the faith. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a portion of scripture that has been uh, something in me that has been a rallying point in me for a long time. You need to understand, I didn't get this sermon out of a book. I got this sermon out of living life. Because I, I'll have to be honest with you, I am not real good at faith. I, I, I struggle with it. I'll be real honest with you. Sometimes it's very hard for me because I am a very logical person. And so sometimes my logic, my reason will assault me because, see, I, I'm the kind of guy that does things in order. I'm the kind of guy that, you know, if step one and then step two, and if step two is, you know, if God wants me to be on step two or three and step one is not done, I have, I Man, I get really agitated. And God sometimes shows up and he goes, we're going to be on step Z. And it's like, well, what happened to one, two, and three? I, I don't, you're, you're changing the alphabet. What's going on, God? And so sometimes God will show up and he defies my linear logic. How many know what I'm talking about? And so faith can be a struggle for me. And so over the years, there have been uh, verses of scripture that have brought comfort to me and wisdom and understanding in that process. And one of them is 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He who, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Now listen to that portion of scripture. Because basically, the words of this passage are telling us that living by faith is not an option for the believer. It is a way of life. Yeah. See, too often the Christian will look at faith as being, well, that is one option. It's not. It's the only option. It is the way we live life. We live it by faith, and it's by that faith that Jesus is the Son of God that we are able to overcome. Can you say amen? amen. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2.4, it says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faith. 
The literal translation of this verse means the righteous person in or by his faith and faithfulness, his firmness, his consistency, his belief, his faith, and his steadfast shall live. It's in those things. It's by that that we live. Faith and life are eternally bound together. Notice I didn't say faith and survival. I said faith and life. See, because a lot of Christians are just trying to survive. They're just trying to get till tomorrow. They just want to get through the moment. They literally don't want through. They want out of the moment. But faith is the victory that it overcomes. Why? Because faith is seeing the invisible. It's believing the improbable. It's asking the unthinkable. And then celebrating when God turns the impossible into reality. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, it says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Remove or move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But here's the question. When trouble comes your way, will your mountain move your faith or will your faith move the mountain? Listen, faith is a battle. And I want to take a few moments and I want to look at this battle in faith. And so we're going to look at a couple stories and I want you to, I want you to grab a hold of the essence that's taking place here because there's a couple places in scripture where the men of God who wrote the scripture, who were inspired of God to write the scripture, they had some awesome wisdom here. And so one of them was Paul when he is talking to his young protege, Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Paul's writing, he tells Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul's writing to him and he, he's telling him, I want, you to, I want you to do this. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. But first, let's answer the question, really, what is faith? And there's been a lot of theologians and pastors and men of God that have spent lots of time defining faith. But you know what faith really is? Faith is believing when we don't see it. Faith is obeying when we don't understand it. Faith is giving when we don't have it. Faith is persisting when we don't feel like it. Faith is thanking God before receiving anything from God. Faith is trusting in spite of the results. Usually what we do as Christians, we usually put conditions on our faith. We have what's called the if-then statement. If you do this, then I will. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's not faith. That's a negotiation. And somewhere what faith is, it's saying, you know what, God? I believe you in spite of anything going on. So this is what Paul is telling Timothy. I want you to have this dynamic in your life. I want you to be like this. Now he tells him, the first thing he tells him, this is a good thing. See, when we look at the words of Paul to Timothy, we see that he's telling them, fight the good fight of faith. In other words, Timothy, this is worth it. This is a good thing. See, I think there's a lot of Christians today, they get into this thing contending for the faith, and they wonder, is this really good? Is this even worth it? Do I need to eat? No, no, this is worth it. This is what we're supposed to do. This, this is of great value. This is honorable. It's the right thing to do. 
It's a good thing that you fight the good fight of faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then the second thing he tells Timothy, and this is, this is not revolutionary or rocket science, but he tells him it's a fight. And I'm amazed at how many Christians are dismayed and thrown off the apple cart, so to speak, when their faith becomes a battle. Amen. It's amazing to me how many like, oh, you know, I just don't know if I could do it. As soon as the opposition comes to stand in our faith, and then we must defend what we're believing for, oftentimes what we do is we just kind of give up. And we're dismayed. It's like, why? I, I, thought by, I thought the fact that I had faith, you would respond. See, that's a performance attitude, isn't it? That's that if-then thing. See, somewhere we've got to settle the issue where we say, you know what, God, I believe you regardless of what I am currently experiencing about you. Period. I believe your word. That's it. And then what we do is because we know this is a good thing and because we know it's a fight, what we do then is turn the battle to the gate. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 28, 6, it says he gives strength to those that turn the battle to the gate. In other words, when there are people that will rise up and say, you know what, God, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm standing upon this promise. This is mine. I'm not altering it. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. I don't care what I feel. This is mine, and I'm going to contend for it. God says, I'm going to give you strength in that moment. Amen. The promise, problem is is we just don't like fighting. We like testimonies. We like, we like victories. We like triumphs, but we just don't like fighting. Smith Wigglesworth once said this, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. And great triumphs can only come out of great trials. So the first thing that Paul says is this is good. And he says the second thing, it's going to be a fight. And then the third thing he leads us to believe or tells us is that this is a process. Too often we believe that exercising faith should be instantaneous. But it's not. It's a process. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26, and he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself doesn't know how, for the earth yields its crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and the full grain in the head. But when, it, but when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. In other words, faith is a process. It is growing. Even though you can't see it, it's growing. What you're believing for is building. It's moving. It's working. If you're not careful, when you don't understand that this is good, it is a fight, and it is a process, then what happens is you'll put the sickle in before the fruit is ready to be harvested. And you'll ruin the harvest. What you'll do is you'll undermine the seed that is growing in your life. So Paul tells Timothy these things. He's speaking to him, and he says, that's what I want you to be about. Fight that way. Then it goes on, and we learn a lesson from Abraham, and we learn that in his life, faith was everything. It was because of his faith that it was imputed unto him as righteousness, and we are the children of Abraham. And it's because of our faith that it's imputed unto us as righteousness. 
is because we've had faith in Christ that we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And to a lot of people, that sounds a little slippery because what it does is it sounds like, you know what, well, then I don't have any responsibility. No, no, you have responsibility in that because there's an identity that you and I need to live out that we are the children of God, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we live that out. But no longer is righteousness now a goal that I, that, that, that I have to obtain. It is a position from which I live. And grace then becomes not a cover of my sin, but the empowerment of my righteousness. See, grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace empowers righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so Abraham, by faith, walked into his righteousness. Well, how did he do that? Look at Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. It says, And being not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. The first thing that Abraham found in his life is... He was convinced. He was convinced. Abraham didn't just believe in a promise. Abraham believed in the one that made the promise. The Bible says it was counted to him as faithfulness and righteousness because he believed. Somewhere along the line, church, do you believe God? Is God a man of his word? No, he's not. He's not a man. But he does keep his word. Can you say amen? And what happens is we've got to come to that place where we're convinced. The problem with much of Christianity is we're just not convinced. See, over the years, I've worked through this thing about healing. And I am absolutely convinced that God is my healer, period. It is always his will to heal. You go, well, what about all the stuff? I don't know all about that. That's above my pay grade. I believe that he is my healer. I'm convinced he is my healer. I don't care what circumstances say. I don't care what symptoms say. I'm healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm convinced. That's what Abraham did. The second thing is he changed his perspective because, listen, In verse 19, it says, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So many times we undermine and overturn our faith because we have considered what we see greater than what God has said. Think about it for a moment. We will get the advice of a friend or we will get the word of a doctor or we will look at our checkbook or whatever it might be that we're contending in and we will believe that over the word of God. Well, here's Abraham. The Bible says he didn't... Imagine Abraham going to the doctor. Here Abraham walks into the doctor. He's 100 years old. Is there anybody here today 100 years old? Is there any 100-year-old? Any, any centurions here today? Are you 100 years old? Okay, so somewhere along the line, he's 100 years old, walks into the doctor and says, Hey, doc, I want to have a baby. God promised me a baby. Doctor's looking at him and going, Well, I admire your pluck. Huh. 
Whoa. You're crazy. I don't know. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't, I don't want another baby at 53. I'm not sure about at a hundred. <laughs> the first thing the doctor's going to ask, I know he is. He's going to look at him and say, well, how old's your wife? Oh, she's younger than I am. Well, how much younger? She's 90. <laughs> Abraham, best thing for you to do is go home and relax. Take a nap. Just be thankful you're still around at 100. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't even consider his body. And he doesn't consider Sarah's body. He's not moved by that. His perspective is on the one who promised. And the third key was his confession. If you go a little bit, a few verses earlier in, the, in that chapter 4 of Romans... It says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. See, it was God. It was God that said to Abram, you're now Abraham. He said, you are the father of many nations. And he had yet to have a child. See, somewhere in church, we've got to get to that point where we begin to speak now, I'm not talking, look at. there's a lot of people that have taken this and they've distorted it into things that it's not supposed to be. And, you know, we've got little fancy names for it and blab it, grab it, all that stuff. Look, I'm not talking about all of that. I'm talking about the fact that God has given you the ability to speak his word. Yes. To speak the word of God. Amen. God says you're healed. How do you know? Listen, in Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, you are healed. Now you go into the New Testament, into 2 Peter 2. And he says, by his stripes, we were healed. I don't think God was confused in the tense of the language. I think he knew exactly what he was saying. And so when we speak the word of God, there's power. Speak to your checkbook. Look at it and go, be filled in Jesus' name. Just make sure you're honoring him with the first fruits. He says, you have not because you ask not. And when you do, you want to consume it on your own lust. Don't think you're going to get anything in that. Somewhere along the line, figure out what God wants. And say, God, I have more than enough. Why? He doesn't give me more than enough so that I can run around in the lifestyles of the rich and famous. He gives me no more than enough so that I can be a blessing to the world and to people around me. Can you say amen? And the whole time I'm being a blessing, I get to enjoy the flow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Speak to your children. Look at your children and go, you are a man. You are a woman of God. We did it with our children. I would go into their rooms late at night and I would pray over them and I would speak over them and I would say, you guys are men of God. You are women of God. All of my children today are in ministry, serving God in active ministry. Is that a fluke? No. Is it because it's what I did? No, because both of them, both of the boys, I don't think they really wanted ministry in the beginning. Andy wanted to be a mean cowboy lawyer. When he was four. <laughs> but we spoke over that. 
We speak over our home that there's peace in our home. Yes. You know what? I stand out in the parking lot and I talk to this building. I look at the building and I go, I call you paid off in Jesus' name. I look at this building and I say, you're filled. Sometimes I come into the sanctuary and I'll stand up here and I'll look at the seats and go, you're filled to capacity. This room can't hold what God will do. Why? Because you know what? Somewhere along the line, God honors the, the faith. It's his word. The fourth key in our faith is to not be moved by unbelief. In verse 20 of this portion of scripture, it says, No unbelief or distrust, this is in the amplified version, made him to waver or stagger concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Listen to me, church. Abraham had a lot of reason to stagger concerning the promise. And there was a time or two where he tried to help out God. That didn't work so well. That created some conflict. Still is. But somewhere along the line, he did not waver in it. He said, God, you're going to do it. I don't care if I'm 450. You're going to bring it to pass. He didn't stumble. He didn't vacillate. He didn't look back. He didn't regret. regret. He didn't question the word. He didn't make the word line up with his circumstances. He made his circumstances line up to the word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Faith always implies obedience. Somewhere you're going to have to it's just like I was saying about worship a little while ago. If you want to see the glory of God in your life, then you're probably going to have to step out of the comfort zone. You might have to lift your hand and maybe tap your toe. You look funny, you know. I, I, I look funny. I, I wonder, some, seeing some of you take pictures of me and put it on Facebook too. But I don't care what I look like. I, I really don't. I don't. I don't care. If you see me worshiping, you see me in my truck singing. If I'm driving down the road and I'm singing, I got my head tilted back and I'm not looking at, just don't get in front of me. I'm, I'm worshiping. Why? Because sometimes it's only worship. It's only in that place of obedience that, that I can find peace. But it's there I do. So as I bring this to a close, I... I want, you to, I want you to think about one more story here. Because this is probably in my mind, and this, this, this story has been with me for so long. I'm just going to share it from my heart. It's the story about the woman with the issue of blood. I so much love this story because there's so much being said in it. In Mark chapter 5, it starts off this way. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind, in, behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood dried up. And she felt in her body she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around and see, to see her who had done this. 
But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. This portion of scripture just, man, it just captivates, that whole chapter actually captivates me. Here's this woman. She, she has had a plague, one version says, for 12 years. For 12 years, she has spent everything she has, all her money, on doctors to get better. And she's no worse, no better. She's worse. At this point, I am sure that friends are few and far between and family is probably very di- di- distant. There's no doubt she doesn't have a husband at this point, and obviously she does not have children. Or if she does, they're distant. Then all of a sudden, something happens. She hears about a man named Jesus. And it's interesting because if you do some study on this, and especially what happens, she hears about this man, Jesus, who is calling himself the Messiah. He says he's the Son of God. He says he's the one that came to set men free. And all through the land he's going and people are being delivered and set free and are being healed. And she begins to remember something that her parents probably taught her. That in the book of Malachi, there's a verse that says this, the son of righteousness will come and there'll be healing in his wings. And as a first century Jew, she would have understanding that the word wing there in the Hebrew is probably better translated in the wide hem of his garment. So this woman, by her faith, because of what she knew about the Messiah, she does something. She makes a decision. See, church, a lot of people are stuck at that point. They just won't decide. They just won't get it done. They're wishy-washy. They sit back and they wonder, you know, well, you know, stop. Make a decision. Do something. You have information. You know the Messiah by prophecy will come. And if he's really the Messiah, then there'll be healing in his wings. There'll, There'll be healing in the hem of his garment. Then she does something else. She, from her decision, she becomes determined. She goes, I'm determined. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get, I'm going to touch him. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. And then from there, she does something else. She makes a declaration. If I, she puts a condition on it. She has a point of contact. That point of contact is the hem of his garment. And she says, if I get there and I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed this is her battle this is her good fight of faith and then what does she do she faces the obstacles because it's all fine and well to make a decision and become determined and have your declaration but I guarantee you the moment you say if I there will be something in your life that's going to push against it and there was in hers It was called a crowd. But for her, that crowd represented something else. 
because the woman was in a condition in the first century where if she went out into public, she would have to say, unclean, unclean. And she wasn't allowed to touch anybody. In fact, the law said if she did, she should be stoned to death. So for her, the pushback was, you got to get through a crowd that could potentially kill you. And she does. Holy cow. She pushes through that crowd. She gets there. She's bent low. She's down low. She's stealthy. She reaches in and she touches the hem of his garment. And something miraculous happens. Jesus stops dead in his tracks. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples are thrown off by this. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. They're all pushing and shoving. They all want to get a look at the guy that's healing people. They all want to get close to you. They, want to, they, all, want, they all want something from you. But they don't really want to touch you. But they're, they're pushing and shoving. And he stops and he goes, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. In Luke chapter 8, verse 45 and 46, it gives us a little more insight. It says, Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude are thronging you and pressing against you. And you say, who touched me? And Jesus said, no, somebody has touched me for I perceive virtue has gone out of me. In the 20th century Bible, it says, Jesus said, somebody has touched me. And they said, Master, the multitude are pressing you and crushing you. But he answered and said, no, somebody has made a demand on my ability. Somebody touched me. Here's this woman who made a decision and became determined and made a declaration and refused to be stopped by the obstacles. Touched the Son of God that day. Her faith, she said, if I, if I, if I touch the hem of his garment, why? Because in Malachi, it says the son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings. And if I touch him, if I touch him, if he's the real deal, I'll be healed. And she was. She touched Jesus that day. And it wasn't the hem of his garment that she touched. That wasn't what she was reaching. Because she reached beyond the liturgy. She reached beyond the clothing. She reached beyond the fear. She reached beyond reason and common sense. She reached beyond what was socially acceptable. And she touched the son of the living God. Amen. And virtue, the Bible says, flowed out of him and healed her. See, when you and I, by faith, reach out and touch Jesus, we place a demand on his ability. And it will flow. And it will bring a definite result. Because he will not disappoint you. Church, too often, and, I, and look at one of the things that I have to do, and I do this on a regular basis, I keep coming back to me, and I keep going, look at, are you serious about this? 
Are you believing this? Do you believe that he will pay off the building? Yes, I do. Well, how will he? I don't care how he does it. He can show up with a bag full of pennies for all I care. I don't care. Do you believe he's going to fill every seat? Yes, I do. Do you believe you're going to walk in health all your life? Yes, I do. Well, what about this? I don't care above my pay grade. I just believe the word. I am a recipient of divine life. He said that, look at you got divine life, divine health, divine healing. He says, I came to give you life, zoe, Z-O-E, and that literally translates the kind of life that God has, and that more abundantly or without measure. I'm a recipient of divine life. Life flows through me. He quickens me every day according to his word. When devils show up to torment, no, you, you don't have access here. You have no access. I stand against you in the name of Jesus. When I see things that I don't understand, I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And I don't lean on my understanding. I lean on his. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to stand in faith. And I know today that by virtue of this sermon, that there will be resistance, but I will resist the resistance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because my God will come through. He will make a way where there is none. He will provide. He causes water to flow out of a rock. Bread to come from heaven. He'll lead by a cloud during the day and fire by night. He will cool me and he will warm me. He is my God and I trust him. See church, we've got to walk in faith. We can't afford to phone this in anymore. We can't afford just to get through life. I'm done with that. I don't know about you. I'm done with getting through. I, I, man, I want to blast through. I, I, I want to, when, you know, if the Lord tarries and I should pass on after a good long life. After, he promised me in Psalm 91, he said, with long life, I will satisfy you. That's my promise. And when I slide into my grave after a good long life, I want to slide in knowing that I had exhausted it all. I had gotten all that there is to get on this side. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I am tired of living behind the eight ball. I don't know about you. I'm going to ride the eight ball. I need to end because now I'm just getting crazy. So the question is this morning, will you touch him? Will you touch him? You know, church, every month we have a breakthrough service. Next week, we're having a breakthrough. It's called our worship night. And we get together to worship and then to contend in prayer. Generally, we have about 80 to 90 people that come out. We don't do anything wild and crazy. I mean, there's nobody, it's nobody standing on their head spitting wooden nickels or anything like that. We're just worshiping and believing God. We just let God be God. And the amazing thing is, is what, here's what I'm always confused about, and I'm, I'm going to shut up here in just a minute. This is what confuses me. I know that there are tons of people that have great need. And we're actually setting that, si- that, that time aside to contend for your need. 
But, you know, it's, gosh, man, it's 6 o'clock in the evening. I, I don't know. See, I think we're more content to whine about our problem than to actually get it healed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting by the lights so I can see your face. I know on the camera I'm probably pretty dark, but I'm wanting to see your eyes right at the moment. So I'm done whining. My wife just said quietly, thank God. I, See, she needs to learn to be a little quieter. I, I, see, I'm living with divine life, so there ain't nothing wrong with my ears. Thank God. That's good. Will you touch him? Will you touch him? Why don't you bow your head with me for a moment? Father, we love you today. We thank you for revelation. We thank you for your truth. And Father, as we go from this place today, we go, Lord, anticipating, expecting good things. God, we go in health and we go in prosperity and we go in strength and power. We go in freedom and in peace. We go today in you. Lord, we reach out and we touch you, Jesus. We pray that your power would flow through us. Father, let us hear the testimony of your goodness in our lives. And we're, Father, we're careful to give you the praise and the glory. We will lift your name. We will give you all the credit because we know that it is you that is the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name. I want you to go from this place today. I want you to go, and as you go home, I want you to, I want you to meditate. I want you to spend some time thinking about this, thinking about it. If anything, read the story about the woman. It's Mark chapter five. Read all of Mark five, the whole book, the whole chapters, rich. Just read that and meditate on it. Read it slowly. Think about the, there's three stories in it. Think about it. Think about it. And just let God touch you. Can you say amen to that? Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? Our, worst, our ministry team is coming. They'll pray for you. If you have a need of any kind, let them pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.